What's up, guys? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Rife, and wow, 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 what a wild ride I am on right now. I am reporting to you live from my hostel bunk bed. That's correct. You heard right. That was not a glitch in your headphones. I am in a bunk bed living in a hostel right now, and if you're wondering why, then I can tell you. I am in Australia. I've been here for about seven months. I just moved from Sydney up north to Queensland in a town called Cairns, but in the Australian way, they say Cairns. It's really weird. I basically have to say it in an Australian accent. But I am up here to do work to get a second visa. So if you want an automatic second holiday visa, you have to come to specific zip codes. So that is why I'm up north. You can't just do this in Sydney or Melbourne or any big city. You have to do it in a more remote area. So as I'm getting settled, I needed to find a cheap place to stay or work for accommodation, which is why I'm in a hostel. So usually I do updates in the beginning of my podcast, you know, completely breaking down Australia's experience and what I'm learning, but I feel like right now there has been so much going on this week that it needs to be an entire separate podcast, like how I'm adjusting, what I packed, what I would do differently, how I'm job hunting, how I'm making friends. Like It's only been seven days and so much has happened that I just need to completely debrief in a different podcast. So stay tuned for that. If you're a first-time listener, this podcast focuses on lifestyle, manifestation, business, and travel. Lately, it's been more about travel and business because I'm so interested to hear how people really create a life for themselves by design because it's really possible. It's all about your mindset and the rituals and the exercises that you do daily to get there. And that's what I'm starting to realize and want to know more about is, yeah, what are the steps that people are taking to get there? What are the things that people are thinking about? What rituals do they have? That's something that's really important, especially as I have this podcast to learn about. Like, it's kind of a selfish thing that I have people on too, because I'm like, I want to learn how you built your business from the ground up. I don't know about you guys, but I think it's so annoying when people are like, oh, I just, you know, overnight became a success or just really put my head down. And before you knew it, I was a millionaire. And it's like, well, that makes no sense. You didn't just put your head down and become a millionaire. You probably had a system in place that you really followed. You probably set really clear boundaries with people. You probably had money in the bank or you probably took out a loan or you probably got a credit card, whatever the case is. That's what I want to know. So that's really important to me to start covering on this podcast, especially if you have a side hustle or a passion project. If you really want to know, could this be my life? I want to get that for you. I want to get those answers for you. So today is all about a fitness expert named Jim Frith. He actually invented something called the eat as much as you want system. And he's been featured in Livestrong, US News and World Report, Parade, AskMen.com. And those are just a few. He talks about how he started his business, where he got the idea, the entrepreneurship journey, because it's not an easy one, and how the system actually works. So that's something that as I travel, especially right now, it is so easy to just go haywire and eat like shit. Like I am the first to report back right now. I am eating shitty hostel food. I'm eating out. I'm getting fast food and it's starting to take a toll, not only physically, but mentally. I can see a shift in my own emotions and mental state. And so it's really interesting to hear Jim's whole approach on the eat as much as you want system, but also again, the entrepreneurial journey. Like how did he just break through the clutter and develop this whole system in a world that we know is quite saturated. So today, I hope you guys really listen to what he has to say, take some notes, and let me know what you thought. Just like with Amazon and Yelp and anything that you're looking for a review, reviews obviously help. So if you did find value in this conversation with Jim or about the podcast in general, please let me know in the reviews or leave a comment on my Instagram, which is at nonexpertopinionpod. You can always write in as well to hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com or visit the website in my nonexpertopinion.com. Outside of that, you might have heard last week and seen on my Instagram that I'm now offering podcast coaching and services. This is something I'm so passionate about because I know when I was starting out, there was so much going on that it was overwhelming. I was like, do I do this course? Could I just buy this ebook? Should I just watch this YouTube video? Like, what can I actually do to really get this podcast up and running? And what I realized is I actually think I wish I just had a coach with me saying, hey, 
hey, here's what we need to do this week. Here are the steps we need to take. If you want to get to X level, here are the exact systems in place that we need to implement. And that's what I'm able to offer now. I've been doing this for two years. I have quite a large network of people in the industry. And I want to help you guys book some major guests, get that podcast up and running. Even if you want to do solo podcasts, totally fine. I just want you to get that up and running. Just start. I cannot stress that enough. You tweak along the way. You have to start it or else you will never know what to do. So I'm here to help you start. So if you're interested, reach out to hello at my non-expert opinion. That's hello at in my non-expert opinion.com. Or you can just DM me on Instagram on non-expert opinion pod or my personal one at Chelsea Rife. With that, let's dive into the show so you can hear more about Jim Frith and his entrepreneurial journey with the eat as much as you want system. All right, guys, you know that I have been focusing a lot on my health since I moved abroad, but I've also been focusing on entrepreneurship. And what's funny is that my guest today pretty much combined both for his career. So it's a perfect person to have on to discuss both fitness, health, entrepreneurship, business, because I need help. So Jim, Chris, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you, Chelsea. How's it going? It's great. It's great. Tell us where you are right now, just so people have a bit of an idea. I am in Black Mountain, North Carolina. We're nestled up in the mountains of Western North Carolina in the United States of America. Oh, that sounds gorgeous. I'm in Australia, so I'm by the beaches, but I definitely miss okay. home. I'm from Florida. So I, uh, I grew up in the States as well. So I definitely want to get into the interviews, some of the differences I've seen since moving abroad. But okay. before you were in North Carolina, tell us a little bit about your childhood and where you grew up. Did you Have you always been over there? No, I, I grew up in Arlington, Virginia. I was the seventh of eight kids, and all of my six older siblings were girls. And uh, so, yeah, uh, it's kind of like having seven moms. But uh, we had a reasonably nice house in Arlington, Virginia, but my parents bought a farm in the Shenandoah Valley when I was in the third grade, and I pretty much spent every weekend and holiday there living in a dirt floor shed and working in the fields. So that was my childhood. So you really grew up in nature and hands-on in nature. Yes, absolutely. I've been listening to a ton of podcasts that people are trying to, you know, hack the secret and what's the secret to health and fitness. And every single expert that's come on has been like, go back to the basics, go into nature drink clean water, like go <laughs> swim in the ocean. And so it sounds like that's where your childhood uh, oh, yeah. really offered that's you. Swim in the river. and What about your interest in health and fitness? Where did that come from? Well, uh, yeah, that's been a long journey with a lot of twists and turns. But I, I really worshipped my dad. Um, and it was really difficult to get his attention because he was a workaholic, which I guess I get that from him. And I was the seventh out of eight. So... Um, but I found that I was good at wrestling, and he paid attention when I started winning matches, so I became determined to become a state champion. That was only possible if I was healthy and fit. And then after that, when you, when you were becoming such a good wrestler, did you think, I'm going to make this my career? You know, I really didn't. Um, it was much later when that happened. I was As I was wrestling, I thought, really, I thought I wouldn't continue it in college because it's kid stuff to do athletics and so no it wasn't it really wasn't in my mind so tell us about this journey because it sounds like it might be a long story but that's what the podcast is for so i want to okay. hear that connection between wrestling and then that that entry point into the fitness career world that you're now in okay all right sure so after I won the state championship in high school, I turned down a wrestling scholarship to the College of William & Mary in Virginia because I really wanted to go to Harvard. And But my father had no money, so I had to pay my own way. And Ivy League schools didn't provide uh, athletic scholarships, so I had to work my way through f school, and I fell out of the habit of exercise. In my 20s, I joined a gym. But I was intimidated by all the beautiful, fit people who seemed to know exactly what to do. I didn't know what to do, so I stopped going. And I uh, really have to give the credit to a woman I was dating in my early 30s. That was about 30 years ago. My work was very stressful, and I knew I was out of shape. 
she, on the other hand, was voluptuous. And I didn't picture her as being particularly athletic. But one Saturday afternoon, she showed up at my apartment wearing spandex. I asked her, why are you all dressed in spandex? She said, I ran over here. I said, you ran over? How far did you run? Five miles, she said. <laughs> and I was just astounded. And I said, five miles? I can't run five miles. How do you even do that? So she, she advised me to just start out slowly and keep going. So I did. But what happened is that as I ran, I felt the stress just melt away. It was just a physical feeling of stress. I, I didn't even know the feeling was there until I felt it melt away. And it was amazing. And I was hooked. So that was the beginning. After that, I decided there would never be a repeat of my experience in my 20s. I started running home from work five miles every day or biking both directions. I sought out advice on how to properly exercise. I read whatever I could get my hands on about health and fitness. And uh, so then years later, I was primed and ready when a friend recommended that I look at being a personal trainer when I wanted to change careers. This is insane that you just started running five miles to work. Like I'm, I'm like thinking about if I started running, it would be half a mile and I might pass out. So it sounds <laughs> like you really, you really built up the tolerance and you, you said, but you enjoyed it. That's I think the I most important did. thing. That was the thing. It was, I was, I had a stressful career and I just, it was an amazing feeling. I don't know how to even describe it. I was just this almost intense pleasure that is a kind uh, so like if you eat a meal after you haven't eaten for a very long time the food is just amazing right mm -hmm. so it was like that it was just uh an awesome feeling and so yeah i worked up to it i didn't instantly start running five miles to uh uh back from work but i i started out running it was on weekends and I built up some endurance and then I would bike back and forth from work. And ultimately, I just took a change of clothes to work, took a cab or a bus, got to work. And then at the end of the day, I'd change my clothes. I had a backpack and put it on my back and ran home. Wow. And you said your job was stressful. Can you tell us about that career that was causing that much stress? Yeah, well, it was in the investment world, and I Ooh. had a lot of employees. <laughs> yeah. and that's not the career for me. I shouldn't have been in it to begin with. It's uh, I felt like I was helping people, but it's not the same as turning people's health around. So this is much a much better fit. So I was looking for a, a change of career, and as I said, a friend knew that I loved fitness and that I was thinking about a career change. And he was studying to be a personal trainer and he urged me to look at the study materials. I ended up signing up for a course and it, it all came so naturally to me that other students started to ask me to tutor them. I was told I had a knack for making complex issues understandable and the next thing I knew I was asked to teach the course. All of that was before I ever even became a personal trainer, so. Oh, wow. That was the right so you career. you really figured it out. Yeah. yeah. Now, going from investment banking or in the finance world in general to the fitness world is such a transition. Did you have any criticism from friends or family, and how did you deal with it? Yeah. Well, actually, I, I heard most of that criticism back before I went to college, which is kind of why I didn't feel like I had an interest in doing that in college. Um, I really wish I had gotten into it back then because I'd love to have spent my entire career in this industry, which I love. But it was a very, very young industry back then and not well respected. There was no such thing as a degree in kinesiology and getting a degree in physical education wasn't considered to be something that smart people did. And so I rejected the idea and when I finally did start studying to be a personal trainer, the, the main objection I kept hearing was, you can't make any money at that. I had a wife and four kids, and I felt guilty about choosing a career that would be so poorly paid, but I knew it was my passion. I've always told my kids, follow your passion. You'll never feel like you spent your days working. I, I've told them time and again, there's not enough money in the world to make up for a job you hate. 
And uh, I knew I could never be a good example to them if I rejected the career I knew I loved. So I plunged dead. So you you sound like you did really well with the training up front, like you ended up teaching the course. And then tell us about after that point, when did you actually start working with clients? Did you figure, okay, yeah, I'm in now, like we're doing this? Well, I started working for other people first. So you have to get clients. So I was out in California working for a health club and then, uh, you know, I could only build a client base so fast doing that. So I also had a job um, at a a uh, physical therapy place uh, where I was training clients there. I was basically picking up clients anywhere I could. And training people in their homes, I went to an independent facility where I paid by the hour to train people. And uh, things really started to take off. But it was kind of a, a, a big error on my part is picking the spot. I thought California was the place. Nobody was really interested in fitness, in my estimation, and there wasn't enough money around here in uh, North Carolina. So I went out to California to start the business, and my family was going to come join me after I got a little bit more established. And then uh, ultimately, they decided they didn't want to go to California. So I said, well, you know, I'm going to be with my family, and I'm going to be a trainer, so I'm coming back um, and do it in this area where there really isn't a lot big fitness presence. And so I came back thinking this would be really a challenge. But by the time I opened up my own place, I was shocked at how quickly I got clients. It was actually much easier here than in California. And wow. uh, so it, it took off. And when you say personal training, just for anyone that's not even familiar, is this just one-on-one -on -one weight training? Is it customized? Like, walk us through what that actually means. Okay. Yeah, that's a good, good point. I, I really look at people's holistic needs from start to finish, which is why I've created this online application called EMEI for uh, weight management. But when somebody is coming in, that's that's top fit pros. But my private uh, personal training and massage, medical massage business is Ascending Fitness, which is just a local personal training facility. And that was the what I started up when I first came back to Black Mountain. But the uh, the process is somebody comes in, I, I do a free assessment with them. So I'm looking at their body, how they're moving, what issues they have that are likely to either lead to injury or cause pain. Um, and uh, then I look to resolve those to the extent possible before they actually start working out. Those That's through a process called myofascial release. When I first was training back in in California, I got exposed to myofascial release. I had been taught in the certification courses about how to work around people's impairments, but that was really frustrating to me because I felt like there were a lot of impairments that people had that would prevent them from being able to do the things that I was asking them to do. I was willing to work around genuine impairments, but it seemed like there were ways to fix some of these things. And that's how I got into myofascial release. And ultimately, medical massage was that process of doing those releases and getting people to where they could move fluidly and without pain. And that brought a lot of people to me because I was able to do that and get them working out and uh, have them really bridge over from a sedentary life to a very active and fit existence without pain. And so that was that that's the step by step process. I would at first I would just go through that phase one of the asse assessment phase two of some body work and then teaching them self care at home on release work. And then phase three would be private training. And then ultimately I got enough clients that I felt like I needed to start grouping people together. Uh, I didn't have enough time to keep adding people. So I started 
small group training and a lot of people shifted over to small group training. So now I do 26 hours a week of small group training. Then I do some private training. I do some medical massage. And then the rest of my time I work on top fit bros. Nice. So you, you do a little bit of it all. Yeah. <laughs> it's a matter of helping people, meeting them where they are, helping them to bridge from, uh, from out of shape and having difficulties to being able to really reach a higher quality of life. And also, you know, I'm coaching weight loss and that's how I really got into the, to EMA. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us about what EMA is? Yeah. So EMA stands for eat as much as you want, which sounds crazy. A lot of people think, oh, that's crazy. You know, you're supposed to be hungry if you're getting, if you're going to lose weight. But uh, the reality is that if you make yourself hungry, you're causing hormonal problems that are going to submarine your efforts at weight loss. And that's really the big lack in the marketplace is that all these popular diet plans out there don't address the underlying problem, which is that people don't know how to work with their own hormones in order to allow their bodies to naturally move towards an optimal weight. Because we're all, we're all born with genetic, what's called set points, you know, that based on our height and build, we're going to naturally move towards a, a more normal weight. But in our, particularly in the United States, there is a huge amount of intake of inflammatory foods, ultra pro 55% of the calories that people take in in America are from ultra processed foods and 70, almost 77% are from processed foods in general. So there's a huge amount of intake of processed foods that are inflammatory. And what that does is it causes our own internal systems to not work anymore. So leptin is a hormone that's primarily involved in two functions. One is when you have a lot of it, you feel satiated, so you don't, you're not hungry. And the second aspect of it is that it speeds your metabolism when you have a lot of it. But when you have inflammation of your hypothalamus, then it can't read the leptin, it can't perceive it. So obese people on average have more than three times as much leptin as I, the average normal weight person. So the first thing that has to happen is we have to raise leptin sensitivity by having a, a high intake of anti-inflammatory foods. We also have trouble with leaky gut syndrome. So you want to get rid of sugar in your diet. Refined sugars kill off a lot of the helpful bacteria, the gut microbiota, uh, that help your metabolism stay high. That's a pro, uh, syndrome called leaky gut syndrome. So more probiotics in your diet help that. Uh, the other thing that happens in weight loss, so, all right, so first of all, because obese people in general average over three times as much leptin, you would think they wouldn't be hungry, but the leptin is hitting a brick wall at the hypothalamus. And so the metabolism stays slow and the people stay hungry. And so they just keep eating those pro-inflammatory pro foods and uh, the, the condition goes on. If they go on a diet, they lose weight with all these popular diets out there. Pretty much any diet will help you to lose weight. But the problem is the way they lose weight is by making themselves hungry. Just about any plan out there, they're they're making themselves hungry. And when they do that, they're crashing their leptin, which means that even if some of that inflammation comes down, they're going to be hungry and they're going to have a slow metabolism. And at some point, you know, this becomes chronic and they 
plateau, their weight plateaus, and it goes back up. So EME is designed to always keep you satiated. You're having, you're eating ad libitum. That means as, as much as you want of certain foods, but that's the key is you're, you have a broad list of unlimited foods, and then you have certain foods to keep your macronutrient balance appropriate and healthy. You have certain foods that are countable that you're supposed to stay within your countables ranges. And when you do all of that, you, you are never hungry and you never crash your leptin. So you never uh, have a slowed down metabolism. You keep a high, a fast burning metabolism as you increase your leptin sensitivity. So you stay satiated and your metabolism gets faster and faster as you actually reduce down to a normal weight without any hunger. And that makes it sustainable. So that's, that's in a nutshell what EMA is. And what are some of those foods that are on that list that qualify for the whatever you want? It's not whatever you want. It's as much as you want. As but, much as you want. Right. As much as you want. You don't eat whatever you want. You eat as much as yeah. you want. But they, as, the, they, yeah, it's a big difference. There are a lot of, of herbs and spices that have high phytonutrient content that are unlimited but aren't required. You have a list, multiple lists of foods that are called must-haves. So you you are required to have something from the must-haves list with every meal. And uh, you can have as much as you want, but you have to have something, at least a serving. And those are, uh, it's a broad spectrum. At, well, at least once a day, you need to have something uh, like from cruciferous vegetables list. There's about 30 different cruciferous vegetables, which is things like broccoli, kale, spinach, cauliflower, uh, turnip greens, mustard greens, and a long list of other green, mostly green vegetables. There, I mean, you could look it up anywhere, cruciferous vegetables. And then there are uh, darkly pigmented berries, stone fruits. Those are another list that they're called sweet superfoods. And all of these are low glycemic index foods that are very high in phytonutrients. They actually help your immune system, uh, help you to fight cancer. And so they, they help you to generally be healthy, but at the same time, they fill you up without a lot of calories. So you eat a lot of them, helps keep your metabolism burning strong, helps bring down that leptin resistance. So you have greater leptin sensitivity. Uh, there's a long list of other foods that are in that category. And something you just mentioned is that is probably the most important is hormones. How can someone actually figure out if their hormones are in balance? There are lots of hints. First of all, you're probably hungry a lot. If your leptin is low or if you have high leptin resistance, then you're going to be hungry a lot. Even when people lose a lot of weight, they can throw the leptin off. So even if there's something called starvation mode, which is basically when you lose a lot of weight, your leptin crashes and uh, your metabolism slows way down. So there are people that go on what these diets that here in the States are called medically supervised diets, and they're put on 500 calories a day. It just totally crashes their metabolisms. And then they can't lose any more weight, no matter how little they eat. So when you're in, if you ever have been in a situation where you're losing weight or are currently in a situation where you're, you've tried to lose weight and you, you hit a plateau where it, you can't lose any more weight, that's a hormone issue. If, on the other hand, you're craving foods so much, obsessing about foods and binging, that's a hormone problem. People think these are psychological problems. These are physical problems mm -hmm. that are related to hormones. And you can't fight your body and be successful. You just can't do it. And that's where the big failure has been 
in our popular culture is people are encouraged to fight their bodies. That's a losing proposition. You have to work with your body. You have to work with the natural mechanisms. Chewing enhances satiety. Filling your stomach enhances satiety. Understanding what the proper macronutrient balance is enhances satiety. Things that we don't always talk about are how the mix of foods that you have relates to how much satiation you have or how much hunger you feel. A lot of people think they, they should eat more fat to feel more satisfied. But the reality is that fat and the science, there's, if you, I've got a book called End the Yo-Yo that I wrote that's um, on my website at topfitpros.com. And it goes into great detail on all the science behind all this stuff and all the um, peer-reviewed research. But there are certain types of foods that people eat a lot of because they are common ingredients in ultra-processed foods and in restaurant foods and so on that do not satiate. They actually enhance your appetite so fat is one of those. It enhances your appetite. Refined sugars enhance your appetite. Salt enhances your appetite. So processed foods, mostly, I mean, especially ultra-processed foods like snack foods and so on, are have high amounts of salt, fat, and sugar. And so breaking the habit of really hypersalting your foods or taking in high levels of sodium in the foods that you're eating and uh and having a lot of refined sugars refined sugars by the way they they kill that back a lot of the helpful bacteria in your gut which slows your metabolism and but it does that at the same time that it's causing inflammation and it is um, enhancing your appetite. So eating the right kinds of things makes a huge difference. That doesn't mean you can't have sweet stuff. That's uh, sweet superfoods, for example. There are fruits that are low glycemic index. Not all sugars are bad, like fructose. High fructose is bad. That's what's in in soft drinks. But fructose is a naturally occurring sugar that's in citrus and it digests slowly. So it it doesn't have the negative impact that the uh, refined sugars have. You know what's so interesting is I had on a lady from France who's saying almost the exact same things that you are about satiation, sitting down, enjoying your meals, chewing, um, very specific points to things that Americans typically we don't do. We rush and grab our lunch and eat it at our desk. We're on the go. You hear constantly in commercials, you know, eat it in the car on the go, like quick fix, run out the door. (laughs) And we thought that was helping us like, Oh, that's buying us time. I can just eat this snack bar in the car and shove this down my face. When in reality, it sounds like that's what's hurting us. Yeah, it's, well, partly it's what is snack food that is the problem. So what we perceive as snack food, like the bar, the candy bar, the fast food that you you grab on the go, those are the wrong choices. You can still, I mean, in EMA, there are hundreds of meals that you can have in five minutes or less, but they're healthy. So that, that's the difference. It doesn't take a lot, for example, to put together a, a glass of non-fat milk and some blueberries. You know, that's one example. But there are lots of other cho- choices. If you're lactose intolerant, obviously you're not going to do that. So there are lots of different ways to have that on-the-go kind of thing to the extent that it's needed. And sometimes it is needed because, you know, the best results health-wise, recovery from workouts, you know, feeding your muscles uh, and not your fat, keeping your metabolism high and so on, that you should be eating about five times a day, 
Well, most people don't have, they perceive that they don't have time to read, to eat five times a day. The way that that becomes possible is if they have some of those meals are super fast. And so super fast does have a place in our lives. The reality is most people are not going to be able to do five long meals a day. It's just not going to happen. So you have to make choices about how you can have what you need to make your body optimally healthy and, and lose the weight and help you for with your workout recoveries and so on and still have it done in the time frame that you need. But the more you get it from items that will fill your stomach and that you're going to chew, the better. I have a question about smoothies because I've talked about this on other podcasts. I lost a ton of weight probably five years ago, drinking smoothies every day for probably for three months. They were super healthy, spinach, etc. However, I almost developed an aversion to them where I drank them so much that now when I make them, I'm like, I don't feel satiated. If anything, I'm like almost grossed out where I'm like, I don't want to drink this smoothie, even though I know it's really good. And that's how I lost so much weight. Can, does that have anything to do with that chewing aspect that you're talking about? Yeah. Well, it also has to do with variety. Uh, there's a variety. We, we have smoothies that are allowed in Ime, but I discourage anybody from having a, a large amount, a large percentage of their meals from smoothies because you're not going to chew. It, you'll get the nutrients. Yeah, you can get the spinach and all the good foods and blend them up and put them into a smoothie and you're going to have a lot of good nutrients going into your body. But it, it's important to have, to deal with satiety triggers as much as what the nutrients are that you're getting. So you want it to taste good. You want it to be foods that you like. You want to have enough variety that you don't get sick of it, which it sounds like what was going on with the smoothies for you is that you were doing the same thing too much and that kind of got old. So, you know, we have about 1,200 meals to choose from and the number keeps growing, but and, and you can make your own meals. You can build them out of all the thousands of foods that we have in the database. But the uh, what you want to be doing is you want to be eating in ways that fit with your lifestyle. That means that some meals you're going to take your time with and other meals are going to be fast. Uh, you're going to have enough variety that you don't get sick of being on on the program that you're on, in this case, EMA, and you want to have a large percentage of your meals be ones where you are actually chewing and filling your stomach. The other, see, the thing about, I didn't even mention, I think, smoothies, you take things that are bulky, like leaf spinach, it's bulky. It'll fill your stomach if you eat it directly and chew it up. I mean, you can put something on it so it tastes better, But and there are lots of recipes for that. But if you chew it up and swallow it, it's going to do a lot more to fill your stomach than if you blend it into a liquid in a smoothie. You're going to drink that smoothie down so quickly that your stomach is... Your brain's not going to know that your stomach has had enough food yet. So you're still likely to feel like, mm, you know, maybe I'd like a little bit more. But no, I'm not going to do that. You use willpower and you don't have any more. And then you lose weight. That's another big problem is sustainability has become a throwaway term in our culture. And I'm, I don't know what that's like in, in Australia, but here in the United States, Every diet plan out there claims to be sustainable, and there's no substance behind that claim. In order for something truly to be sustainable, you should lose weight without relying intensively on willpower and be able to keep that weight off when you're done without a tremendous urge 
to break the program. And of course, anybody can say, yes, it's sustainable because the only way people gain weight back is when they break loot from the program. But the problem is if the program is setting you up for failure and that you feel a tremendous desire to break from the program by the time you've been in it for a while, that's a problem. That's a sustainability problem. And so a, I would argue that to be truly sustainable, you shouldn't ever be hungry and you should maintain a fast burning metabolism throughout start to finish. And uh, that's that's where these other programs fall down. And if you're if you're doing smoothies all the time, you just eventually that's just not going to be good enough. Right. I have a big problem now with smoothies. Uh, here and there, I'll try and make them, but it's just, the, I think the satiation part is where I'm like, it's like you said, my mind hasn't registered that I'm full yet. And then I'm like, I now want a full breakfast. Like, right. <laughs> I feel like I need to go sit down and eat again, which is not after I had this huge glass of a smoothie. Right. Exactly. I have a question about how you got to this point. Was this something that you just knew off the bat when you initially started out in this whole field or did you have, was it a lot of trial and error? Like tell us how you eventually figured out this is what's really working. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's another, I'm going to try to make it a shorter story than it really is. But way back, I told you that I became a state champion wrestler, but so a part of wrestling is you have to, make weight. You have to go to a weight class. And um, I wanted to be able to make my weight class. And so this became a kind of common sense thing to me was common sense, although I, later I learned that not everybody was doing this. But I knew that I couldn't just lose weight because you can starve yourself and lose weight. And lots of people were doing that. I needed to be fast, agile. I needed my mind sharp and I also needed to lose weight. So I felt like I had to eat lots of fruits and vegetables. I had to have a balanced diet. And that's what I did in high school and it worked great. But as I went through that long period where I wasn't taking care of my health, I gained weight. And finally, I was about 40 pounds overweight. And I had been exercising at that point, And I didn't want to lose muscle. I had learned enough at that point to know that the typical weight loss program would have you lose about a third of a pound of muscle every pound you lost, you'd lose two thirds of a pound of fat and a third of a pound of muscle. And I didn't want that. I didn't, I didn't want to be weaker. I wanted to be stronger. So I just didn't accept any popular program that was out there. I instead really started studying and looking for how could I lose fat and not lose muscle. And that was the genesis of EMA. And so I went through that process. I tried to balance all the macronutrients, but I was also taking in a lot of those uh, high volume foods that have a lot of nutrients, but not a lot of calories to fill myself up. And I lost the 40 pounds and that it worked really well. And then when I was, let's see, it was 2009. I was working at a uh, kind of a high-end gym in California. And they asked me to coach a weight loss team. They were going to have a weight loss contest. And <clears throat> they wanted me to take some people that were a challenge. You know, one had a back trouble, another had chocolate addiction. And so I was taking six people out of 36 people in the contest. And I thought, well, the system I used for myself worked really well for me. So I'm going to teach it to them. And so I did. And I 
just work to try to keep anybody from getting hurt. And I told, told them all, I don't care if you win this contest or how well you do in the contest. What I care is that you learn how to move functionally, that you uh, end up healthier at the end than you started with. And uh, if we can lose some weight along the way, that's great. And here's the process. So I, I taught them and I was just floored ultimately because not only did the team win the contest, but the six members of the team, five of the six members took first, second, third, fourth, and sixth in the contest. So I was just astounded. And that was when I recognized this is something pretty special. And I need to go deeper with it. So I... When I got here to North Carolina, I coached a lot of people through that. I put together a number of different contests here, trying to have people lose weight the right way. And uh, that ultimately led to me trademarking EMEI and finally beginning to develop the weight loss application because the biggest issue along the way is that if you don't have the application to to calculate the countables, the stuff, the amounts that you have to count, then the math gets a little bit difficult. And so by having the application, all that's done for you. You don't have to worry about any math. It's all very simple and easy. Right. I have a question about when you're building this whole plan. You're seeing that it's working. You're like, I'm setting this up in North Carolina. I'm trademarking. What's going on in your personal life? Is your family like, this is amazing. We love it. Keep going. Are they worried about anything? What if this doesn't work? Like, I want to get into the details of building an idea out to fruition that a lot of people want to do, but are a little bit scared of. Right. Well, it's definitely a big time commitment. So i have worked a lot. I've always put my family first and I make time for family and friends. My kids especially have been top priority. So I have coached uh, rec league sports for my kids, for the teams, basketball, baseball, and softball. And I put a lot of time into my kids and that was that was difficult because I'm I've always also put a lot of time into work so balancing all of that has been a real challenge um but anybody who thinks they can start a business and not be completely a hundred percent into it and working a lot of hours is probably not going to make it work. So you just have to, you have to do it and you have to really be committed. And so you better be sure you've got something that you believe in and that you have a passion for because it's going to consume your life. And what about your friend group or peers? Because we, we always hear that saying, you are the five people you hang out with. Were you making sure your circle was, you know, either on the same page as you or just essentially not bringing you down? Or looking back, were you like, yeah, I should have cut some people out of my life a bit earlier? I have a large extended family. I've got lots of cousins. I have six sisters. I did have a younger brother, but he died a long time ago. But I have my sisters and their husbands and siblings. They're scattered all over the United States. And so I see them now and then. We don't see them all the time. doesn't take a big time commitment to catch up with them. And fortunately, I live where a lot of them come to vacation. So I get to see them a lot that way. So there's been some understanding from them. And my kids have really put a lot into them. They're all grown now. And uh, I stay in 
frequent contact with them, mostly by phone now, and then occasional visits. So I feel like I've maintained all of those aspects, and I have other dear friends who I have kept up with. I think that my devotion to all of those other aspects of life, including especially the amount of work that I was doing and the time spending on that, did put a strain on my marriage. So that is one area that did not uh, hold up. And now, in a, in a day of your life, knowing what you know now, did you structure your days differently? Like, okay, I'm going to, it sounds like you did, but I'm going to carve out, you know, an hour a day for family. Or, you know, is there something, a routine that you follow to make sure that I cannot get engulfed in this the way I was before? A uh, first priority is that I'm going to exercise. So personal health, eating right, those sorts of things are a big part of, they're kind of the, among the big rocks of, of life. You know, I don't know if you know that analogy where you fill a jar and you put a, you, you put the big rocks in and then you can put smaller rocks and then you can put sand and then you can add water and you can put a lot of stuff in that jar. But if you fill up the jar with, with sand and water and then you put in the little rocks, there's not going to be room for the big rocks. Mm. So the big rocks are family, friends, um, personal health. So that means exercise and it means eating right. If you don't make time for those basic elements of life, then you're you're just not going to have the kind of life that you hoped for. And so I recognize that for myself, that I need to carve out time for those parts of my life. And then the, the work is always going to be there. there. It never runs out. So I, I get, I do plenty of work, spend plenty of time. And I'm also very fortunate that the people in my life at this point all understand and they're supportive of my work. They know how passionate I am about it. They know um, how I'm able to help people. And so they support that. I, I think it's important to have people in your life who are on the same page with you and you are surrounded by people who feel like you ought to be, you know, having a different set of priorities and you ought to be going out and partying or playing golf or whatever it is that you fill up a lot of time with that isn't in line with what your life's mission is, then they may not be the ones that you should have in your core group. The people that I have in my core group are all very supportive of what I'm doing. Absolutely. And in personal health, can you walk us actually through a daily routine that you follow? Maybe it's a morning routine, an evening routine. I would love to hear about that. Sure. I mean, my life is pretty structured because of the fact that I have, like I say, I train people. I have 26 hours a week of small groups. So those are all as set times. And then I fill in the gaps with a lot of other stuff. So I get up in the morning and generally I'll answer a few emails, have breakfast and head to work. And I train my first class at 7.30 a.m. And so I train classes, uh, any gaps in the day, I start working on things to do with that top fit pros, whether it's uh, dealing with programmers, checking their work. Uh, dealing with media, talking to, you know, whatever, rea relating to e to media. Uh, the uh, dealing with the database issues and meal plans and all those things that go on in the email systems development and, and fruition. And then also doing medical massage. And my last class is 
uh, Monday through Thursday is it's uh, 5.30 to 6.30. So that ends the, that most of this super highly structured. I still train people online that used to be my clients here that are, they moved to the Midwest and they couldn't find somebody they wanted to train with. So they, they built out their basement like my facility here in Black Mountain and I train them uh, there two nights a week plus Saturday morning on just with uh, FaceTime. So I've got that. And also in the evenings, a lot of times I have more emails and that sort of thing. But I also, of course, spend time with carve out evenings to be with friends, family. If any of my kids calls, I, if any of them call, then I, you know, they're, they're scattered. They're not living locally anymore. And we'll make, if I can't talk to them on the spot when they call, then we'll make an appointment to, to talk and, and I'll set aside however long it's going to take, however long they, they want to talk. And sometimes we'll talk for an hour, an hour and a half. And um, I'll treat it like an appointment because my days are structured and I, I need to put that in there and I really want to be there for them. Absolutely. It's so important to, even if you need to put it in your calendar, like you said, an appointment, like blocking off nine to 10, chatting with the kids. It, right. If it's in there, you'll do it. So like exactly. you said, treating it like a client will actually help you nurture those relationships. Exactly. And can you give us an example of what one day of eating in your program will look like? Like really specifics in terms of a breakfast, a snack, etc. Partly it may be, you know, when do you work out? So there, there's been research on this that you're, you're getting nutrient absorption more rapidly after a workout than you get at other times. And there's an advantage in more rapid recovery if you have a little bit of high glycemic index foods. That means things that, are, that turn to blood sugar a little faster. So that doesn't mean going out and having a candy bar or having a pastry or a donut or something like that. It means having some healthy foods like mango or pineapple or watermelon that you would have a little bit of in your meal that would be right after your workout. So it depends on when you have your workout as to how the, what the meals are going to look like. But uh, there would be, there are just so many different meals. Uh, it's, it's uh, hard to go through what a typical, but you're, you would start out with breakfast basically shortly after you get up. And that's going to have uh, some of these elements. So a lot of people like the sweet superfoods as opposed to, I mean, there are people that will put some eggs with spinach and so on, and they're getting their cruciferous vegetables right first thing in the morning. That's a matter of personal preference. But um, personally, I like berries and the fruit type stuff in the morning. So I uh, might have some, some egg. If you're going to have a lot of egg, then you're probably only going to have one yolk. The rest would be, because you want to limit that fat intake. So the rest would be egg whites. And uh, then something, the unlimiteds might be, blueberries or strawberries or any any number of different things. So there's a lot of different things you might have at breakfast that wouldn't be really foreign to people, like having some yogurt with some fruit in it and maybe a little sprinkling of cereal in with that. Uh, and have so you have sort of a crunchy start. So that's that's just your beginning. And then you... Typically, mid-morning, somebody's going to have uh, a mid-morning meal. That's usually going to be a fast meal because most people can't take a bunch of time off in the workday in the middle of the morning to eat. 
but they should be able to take five minutes and have something. So that can be, as I said, as simple as a glass of nonfat milk and some berries, or it could be any number of other options. There are breads, for example, that are... You can have, there are some gluten free choices. There are also, if you have, um, you want, if you're having bread, you want to have something that is low glycemic index. It doesn't turn to sugar fast. So any bleached flour uh, breads are not going to be something you would have, especially if you're not right after a workout. So you're, you can have something like, Typically, if you're losing weight, you're only going to have one slice of bread. You might have a little bit of meat with that and uh, any number of other choices. You might have sauerkraut on it. You might have uh, tomato, the tomatoes, sauerkraut, uh, and spinach, lettuce, etc. Those are all unlimited, so you can go to town on that stuff. And uh, But also have it very quickly. It could be right there, you know, that you brought from home and and... The point is you never want to be hungry throughout the entire day, start to finish. You don't want to be hungry. You can do things that are more uh, time-consuming at meals where you have more time, and you might be more complex. Typically, you're going to have a very simple meal. If you've got five minutes, you're going to go real simple. If you've got a lot of time, maybe you want to have a lot of different ingredients, maybe you have uh, a dish that is full of of different ingredients with spices and and uh, a lot of different flavors. One thing you can also do if, let's say, you're one of these people that never has a lot of time, you can, uh, at the beginning of the week, say on a Sunday, you can prepare some ingredients like maybe some wild rice or quinoa, and uh, and some cook some broccoli, cook some other ingredients that maybe some chicken breast, etc., and have those available in containers in your refrigerator, and then combine them into some of these meals so that it doesn't take any time. So you can have fairly elaborate meals if you want to that on at the time that you're going to eat them don't really take any time to put together you just eat them and uh, so there are lots of those kinds of things that are options as well so as you go through your day uh, it there's tremendous flexibility depending on your particular needs in your particular life when you're getting up when you're going to bed you know when these meals are which which meals have to be fast which meals can be slower the big part though is not being hungry i that has been consistently the thing that has been the challenge for a lot of people is that they're not used to eating when they're not hungry and so and they're astounded that they're eating when they're not hungry never getting hungry and they're losing a lot of weight so it's it's a whole adjustment in thinking. So people just get an idea of if they're, you know, hitting the grocery store while they're listening to this podcast, maybe they can throw some of these items in their cart. Yeah, yeah. And I have two questions to end on. What resources do you personally tap into for motivation or inspiration? Okay, yeah, good question. So that really comes down to life purpose. The, the book that I've mentioned and the Yo-Yo chapter 16 is about uh, motivation. That's the name of the chapter. And so I follow exactly what that is about, uh, which is that to have a life that is satisfying, it needs to be meaningful. And for a life to be meaningful, you need to have a clear sense of purpose. And so I've gone through the exercises similar to what's in that chapter. And I know that my sense of purpose is derived, my, my purpose in life is to gather and analyze information to create knowledge 
that I can use to help other people. And my pool, my main pool of knowledge has to do with the body. And so I use that knowledge that I gather to help people to have a better, higher quality of life because of better health and a, a physique that's more in line with what they would like to have. Uh, but especially... Uh, a, a body that helps them functionally to do the things that they would like to do. And so when I feel like, wow, you know, I'm, I've taken a lot on, I, I look at my life purpose and I see how I'm helping so many people and that really charges me up. And then I, I don't feel burdened at all as a result. I love that. And my final question is, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten? Probably the best piece of advice I've ever gotten is that I should take care of myself first, and then I can take care of other people second. We, I don't know, I, I've always been other focused. And I think it's really important to, it's like when you're on an airplane and they tell you that when the oxygen mask comes down, put yours on first, then help somebody else with theirs. And I've found throughout my career that when I'm taking care of myself, when I am getting the exercise I need and eating right and uh, taking care of my emotional and and mental needs that I'm much more capable of helping others. And that really was great advice for me. That's excellent advice. And what about if anyone wants to work with you, if they want to figure out a little bit more about this program or get in touch with you, how can they go about doing that? Uh, well, they can go online to topfitpros.com. And so the email system is there that and the yo-yo book is there um, so they can read through all of that if they want to reach me otherwise i'm at jim at topfitpros.com uh, so it's not hard to reach out to me and i'd welcome any uh any contact any uh feedback that people have for me or any questions they may have uh, and uh, yeah i look forward to that awesome well thank you so much for jumping on the show today well, thank you, Chelsea. I really enjoyed talking to you. Absolutely. Well, I hope you found value in my conversation with Jim. I will definitely be linking everything in the show notes, so be sure to check those out. And if you did find value, again, please let me know either by sharing it on your Instagram story, leaving a review, rating the podcast, and subscribing. You can always follow the podcast at nonexpertopinionpod. My personal Instagram is at Chelsea Reif. You can write in to hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com and visit the website www.inmynonexpertopinion.com on expertopinion.com. Lots of different ways to get in touch. And please, 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 again, share, share with your friends, share with anyone that has ears. That's how I can get more awesome guests like Jim on. And with that, I will see you guys next week.